Hello, welcome to These Girls Read Books. I'm your host, Molly Talon, same as last week. Come on in. Today, I have a conversation for you with my friend Lisa, who is another lovely human and one of my top faves. Lisa is one of those people who you see them at a party and they're over in the corner um, judging all of your home decor, which is to say she's exactly like me in that aspect. And her and I talked briefly about how we both judge people by the contents of their bookshelf and are not ashamed of it. Lisa is another super bookworm like myself, and she's always reading something fun or funny and interesting, and I just really so enjoy her recommendations. The first time I met Lisa... Well, it was about eight years ago, and she went to high school with my husband, and I was meeting all the high school friends for the first time, and there's a big, giant group of them, and I was super nervous, and um, there was Lisa sitting on the couch, and she was talking with um, our friend Joel, and she looks up, and she goes, oh, who are you? Uh, because she knew everybody at the party. I was the new guy, you know? And I said, oh, I'm Molly. Um, I'm with uh, Rob Talon. She goes, oh, great choice. And I just loved that so much because she just she nailed it, really. And it was so funny because it was as if I had a choice. (laughs) Uh, Falling in love with Rob Talon. So here's my conversation with Lisa. We talk about a rad book that she had recommended on our very long, the longest running um, group chat I've ever been a part of. It's a book called Man at the Helm, and it's by Nina Steeb. Takes place in the UK, another UK author. A lot of tea is had, a lot of toast, a lot of packets of crisps. So if you're into that kind of thing, you're gonna love this book. Highly recommend if you want something cheeky, but very well written and meaningful yet fun a lot of dark material is addressed with a very light sense of humor so if that sounds like something you would like go ahead to your local independent bookseller and pick up a copy of Man at the Helm so here you go here's me and Lisa 
Oh, and this recording is a little dodgy just because we were both living our lives at the moment of this conversation, which I'm not apologizing for. I'm just letting you know that we were both humans living our lives and having a conversation at the same time. She was cooking dinner for her pod people, uh, neighbors and friends. Actually, Vera. They're in a pod together, so there's some dinner cooking sounds and then on my end there's some child sounds and dinner cooking sounds so enjoy lisa thank you so much for recording with me even through all the uh the technical shenanigans i really appreciate it yeah you're very welcome Molly. Glad to be here. Amazing. Um, Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this because you are quite possibly one of the, an an equal book nerd to my book nerdiness. So um, I could, and you're also on that same text chain with me and Vera that we talked about when I recorded with Vera about how um, like we're all on the same like text chain with a bunch of women and our friend, I think it was Kate. Was it Kate that went into the, the chat group and was like, Hey, who has book recommendations? And I could yeah, feel I your, um, yeah, and I, I could feel your excitement from a hundred miles away, but <laughs> because I felt equally excited when someone comes to me with what is like, what are you reading? Like, what's a good book recommendation? Yeah, that's my favorite question in the whole world. Mm-hmm. easily one of my favorite conversations is what are you reading? Do you like it? What should I read next? Quite, mm-hmm. quite easily. One of my favorites. Absolutely. Oh, um, especially if a person knows a little bit about what they want to read, you know? Yeah. Like even the genre that they exactly. want. Exactly. Like, Ooh, yeah. I have to talk about this. <laughs> Yes. Um, And that's where I got the, you had recommended a bunch of great books. And so I'm slowly working my way through the um, Susie Steiner uh, detective novels. Oh my God. And yeah. So good. And then, but this one I was like obsessed with for and I it was one of those books where I like didn't really want to read the end because I was sad it would be over um and but have you there's a sequel I just read and it's really good okay I'm gonna read the sequel I saw it come up in like my um recommendations on my kindle app or whatever so I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in Yeah. yeah Um, the first thing I ask people is always, um, 
why do you read? And when you walk into a bookstore, like, what are you looking for? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I read to survive. And that is not an understatement. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely my number one mental health care strategy and has been for as long as I can remember, even from when I was, you know, like six years old, growing up in a big family with lots of kids, it was like the sanctuary way to get away from all the noise is like curl up in a corner and read a book. And I still pretty much read books to get away from all the noise of life and just, you know, curl up in a corner and, and get lost in something that isn't my own, uh, obsessive thoughts. Um, and so, yeah, it just like gives me a way to kind of, um, take a rest from a, from my obsessive mind and, um, it sort of feels like I long, a long time ago, I noticed that it, it feels like it's almost like a reset for my mind. Like I can be really frazzled and then spend a couple hours reading and I come out on the other side feeling like I've been rebooted or something like the noise has sort of settled down and the wavelength in my brain has like evened out or something. So it's really, really important mental health. And also of course, super fun. Because I read mostly to get to your second. I read mostly books that are really entertaining. I used to be a person who like, I, um, have a master's degree in English literature and I have read a lot of like the Western canon and sort of high literature. And I just don't care about that anymore. And now I just want to read books that are entertaining. And so I like at when I go to Elliott Bay bookstore, I love the, you know, new genre fiction mysteries thrillers science fiction fantasy i love they've got such nice curated um tables at the front of the store of new um and interesting and cool books that people who like to read want to read and i always get really good ideas from those tables and then i have to admit that I don't buy them at Elliott Book Bay Books. I turn around and go get them from the library because <laughs> I'm cheap. <laughs> but shout out to Elliott Bay for for coming through with all the recommendations. Yeah, they're the best. They deserve my business, even if I typically patronize the library instead. <laughs> when I do buy books, I often buy them. Hey, Elliott. What are you know? libraries for if not for that exact purpose so oh yeah that's right also shout out to libraries yeah shout out to libraries Mm -hmm. shout out to social services shout out to big government you know but we don't have to get into it we don't have to go there but we can (laughs) absolutely we would go there yeah. <laughs> um amazing. I am so excited always to get your like 
what's Lisa reading, you know, download. Um, because I, there's always going to be something in there that I'm like, yes. And I absolutely, um, resonate with your brain wavelength theory. Um, cause I have this like thing where I, I actually can't go to sleep at night unless I've like read something from a book or a magazine yeah. or whatever. Like I, I panic sometimes if I'm like somewhere and I'm like, oh my God, I, didn't bring anything to read so I end up having to like pick up a magazine from the bathroom or wherever <laughs> even if it's just like a brochure for like whale watching or something and be like oh hey I can read something <laughs> totally. um, okay so let's get into uh, Man at the Helm by Nina Steeb how did you pronounce her name in your head? I pronounced it Steve, but is that I tried? Do you think Stibby, that's correct? I don't but know. But I have no idea. I don't know. Stibby? Stibbe? Yeah. Steve? Who knows? <laughs> Steve. <laughs> uh, Nina, please get in contact with us <laughs> so we can learn how to pronounce your name correctly. <laughs> if you're listening. Um, yeah. 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 So good. Um, but okay, so Man at the Helm, which I think the title intrigued me first because yeah. um it sort of smacked of feminism. Um, because I could tell the title in itself was like pretty tongue in cheek. So immediately I was like, Oh, I'm definitely gonna need to to pick that one up um for sure because i love me some feminism um so what did you love about this book like what was the thing that kept you going with it oh my god i mean there's multiple things that i loved about this book but i think the thing that i would like if I was trying to convince somebody to read it, and in fact, I am trying to convince somebody to read it right now. Everybody who's listening to this, you should read it. Um, is It's just like so hilarious, but in a way that I haven't seen before in that it's about like the domestic lives of women and children. And, um, you know, it kind of reminds me of like P.G. Woodhouse this like very funny tongue in cheek kind of dry British humor, but about women and children who, by the way, like swear constantly. And like, there's no, um, like it's actually kind of gritty. There's like abortion and pregnancy loss and drug addiction and a mother who sends her children to go get drugs for her. And yet at the same time, it's just incredibly warm hearted and sweet and silly and hilarious. And like, that is just such a, I haven't come across that combination anywhere else. And it just like kind of ha hits all the things that I, that I want in one combination. I totally agree with that assessment. Like it's dealing with that uh -oh. dark gritty, the darkest part of life at the same time keeping like this really upbeat and like hilarious attitude. And um, yeah. I would 
not hesitate to compare that personality assessment to you, Lisa Sibbett, <laughs> as one person who has dealt with, you know, the darkest parts of human existence at the same time as keeping this really yeah. intense bubbliness that is infectious, to say the least. So kudos to you there. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. It's funny to hear myself as bubbly, but <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it does resonate with me for that reason. Because it's like, it's dark and some of the stuff that happens in the story is really hard, but it's also just like so full of heart and so loving and all of the characters are painted with like so much warmth. Yeah, agreed. It's like the you want to hate some of these characters at the same time, but you are filled with such empathy and like intense love for them. Um, there's so many characters in this book that I just want to hold <laughs> and sing to. <laughs> um, uh, so the book starts with, as you can probably tell by the title, the book starts with a sort of event that within a nuclear family in 1960s London, where it sort of turns into, there was a man at the helm and now there isn't. Um, and that causes this nuclear family to kind of go into this tailspin. Um, and the mom and the three children end up moving out of London and living in this small town and with the small town aspect comes this, the small townness of it all. Um, and there just ends up being a lot of um, conflict with the other characters in that small town. And the thing that is so charming about this book, and I'm dying to hear your perspective on it, is the perspective it's told from uh the main like the narrative character the one who's telling us the story is elizabeth lizzie the how old is she when this book starts like she's 10 maybe or maybe younger but yeah something like that yeah and we hear that we like read the story from her perspective and hearing it from her voice is so charming because she's making all these very childlike observations about what's going on around her. Um, and I just want to know what you thought about that perspective. Cause I think that's what makes this book super unique. Yeah. She's awesome. I mean, you don't, sometimes I can think of books that are written for adults that are from the perspective of a child, but um, not a ton. And she is just mm -hmm. very believable as a child and also very relatable as an adult um, in terms of her perspective. Like it really, for me, there's like a, a real like recognizing my own child self in her, just in terms of her kind of like 
obliviousness and the things that she's passionate about and, um, you know, her love for her family and her, like, just sort of, she has this absurd view of the world because she's a child, although it doesn't seem like the adults have a slight, any less absurd view of the world, really. And, um, yeah, I don't know. She's great. Like, and just has such a, um, memorable voice, very, um, specific. Like, I feel like once you've read Nina Stibby or Steve or however you say her last night name, you're going to like always recognize, you know, this is a Stibby book. Um, and in that, I, I have, I read the sequel to the book where the main character Lizzie is more like in her mid teens and working in a, a nursing home. And somehow the it's, that book is also great, but somehow the fact that she's so young in the first book even sort of brings more kind of power to her like insights and her voice and just how interesting she is and like how charming. I think that that was the word that you used and I completely agree with that word. Yeah, I found like it was some of the really, really hard things in the book, like the presence of abortion and drug abuse and alcohol abuse were so much more accessible and easy to read because I think it was told from her perspective. Um, right. Yeah. And, and like, she has this, for example, I mean, one of the storylines that's kind of hard is that their mom is um, really has a substance abuse problem for most of the book and is sending her children to get drugs for her and neglecting them pretty badly. And, you know, they're not always being fed and they're not, you know, they're, they're having to kind of figure out how to wash their own clothes and because she's so incapacitated by obviously, you know, from an adult perspective, we can see that she's got like mental health issues going on and substance abuse problems and really suffering and yet the child and her mom have such a sweet relationship. Like they just love each other so much and they get along so well. And it's so clear that everybody in the family just loves each other. And there's just like no judgment whatsoever of this woman who's really struggling. And that is really, really lovely, really amazing, you know? I wish all humanity could be like that. <laughs> I wish that when people were having a hard time, when they were fucking up, as we say, um, we could look at them socially. We could look at them with a little more like empathy and a little more like, Oh, I wonder what they're going through. You know, I wonder what's up with them. Um, I have a couple like passages highlighted in my handy dandy Kindle um, from the, the one of the very first chapters when the mom and the dad first break up um, and the, she's explaining to the kids they're getting divorced and she says I want this to be as painless as possible your father and I have decided to split up and get a divorce and daddy has gone to live in a flat and my sister said oh no poor daddy and the mother replies poor daddy poor daddy is over the fucking moon. And she sobbed great, 
what did she say? And she sobbed great comical sobs. And I didn't dare look at my sister for fear of laughing the way you do at times like that. And it just kind of was so real. Um, because in this moment, it's like, you know, that the kids are going through trauma, like, and the, the way that she describes it is like, you can't help laughing at times like that. And I just love, it kind of sets the tone for the whole book of like, okay, the kids are going to be, we're going to like walk with these kids through a bunch of trauma and they're going to have this really, like, we're going to witness some really interesting reactions. Um, yeah. And then it, the other thing that like really got to me about this book was the way that like how the kids it was a little bit lord of the flies you know they were kind of ruling themselves the whole time um yeah and the way that they really were able to take care of each other pretty pretty well i'd say i mean they all ended up alive which was pretty incredible right and thriving um, really yeah i mean which was crazy and so like the whole the whole organism like the whole motivation of the characters is the lizzie and her sister decide that they need a quote man at the helm of the family because they see their mother kind of spinning out and being pretty much like useless as a mother to them for a while because she's going through a lot like what we would now call like depression severe depression anxiety alcohol abuse drug abuse and they see her spinning out and they decide that the main issue is like well it's because there's no man here so we have to procure one because she doesn't seem to be able to do that so we're gonna do that for her <laughs> and so they go shopping around town essentially for the correct man for their situation um and they throughout the whole book they have this like list of men um, from the town and they even have their dad on that list even though it's pretty apparent he's not really a contender but um and okay so chapter 21 we decided we'd contact by letter the suitable men in the area and invite them to have a drink with her and hope that it would lead to a sexual intercourse and possibly marriage obviously one at a time um <laughs> And then they, so they go, both separately make lists of men they've seen around town and they send them all letters on their mother's behalf and say like, this is, you know, for different reasons, like, would you come by for a drink? Um, and it's, and the crazy thing is like, it works. That's the craziest thing about it. It's like <laughs> these men show up and they do have sexual intercourse with the mom. And it's not that it doesn't work. It's just really, really funny. Um, which is one of my favorite things about this book. That and all the um, the English terminology for snacks. I think that's my second favorite thing about the book is all the different like packets of crisps and like different kinds of candy bars that are referenced. <laughs> love it. Yeah, I love the love a packet of crisps. Letters that they write. Yeah, that's they're great. The letters that they write pretending to be their mother are just hilarious. And then you're right, it's just so ridiculous that it works. These men like read these letters that are written by ten year olds 
pretending to be adult women inviting the men over and the men are like well that seems feasible and they come on over and then they do indeed have sex with her and like on the floor in the living room and also the mother doesn't seem to think much of it and is just sort of like oh hi thanks for stopping by come on in and the whole you know the whole premise is just so um ridiculous and yet somehow believable within the kind of universe that is created here all the characters are just absurd and the men are for the most part well they range some of them are like kind of nice guys and some of them are horrible um yeah the children aren't super good at like picking men to be at the home but it's a great premise super weird Yes, it's yeah. super weird that the that the kids aren't great at that. Um, yeah. Um. Okay, I'm gonna look up another quote here that I was looking at earlier. Let's see. Um. I like that one. And... Okay, this one. Um, people stared at us and looked worried. I acted normal in the lift, and the old woman said, no dogs allowed, and Jack barked at her. Um, this is when they, like, go to the city by themselves to pick up their mother's pills which when i'm when you're like sitting down to read it and like as you know <laughs> an adult you're like watching these kids get on a train by themselves and they decide to bring their dog and they decide to like go to the zoo ahead of time and they have like all this cash for pill for pills to pick up for their mom and the the craziest thing is that nothing terrible happens like yeah, they're going up to, to pick pills for their mom, but, like, the doctor doesn't say anything. The secretary for the doctor isn't, like, what are you kids doing here by yourself? Like, it's all very, like, they were able to pick up the pills for their mom and then take the train home, which is the craziest thing about the whole book is, like, no one steps up and is, like, hey, <clears throat> we need to take better care of these kids like as a group like everyone is just like that lady doesn't have it together and her kids are feral and um you know what a mess you know and no one's like no one comes alongside them and is like you know what i bet you probably just need some help here um which is so rough cuz and i wish i could say like oh it was the 60s it was a weird time but the truth is like it's that's still how it is Right. Yeah. Well, and like the, the thing that's so, like the reason this is a comedy as a novel is like their big problem on this trip where they've been sent a few hours on the train by themselves to pick up drugs for their mother is that they go to the zoo and they spend too long at the zoo and then they're late to pick up the drugs. Like that's the narrative tension of the story of them going to London. Yeah. And then they have to yeah. convince the doctor, like we need to pick up the mother's drugs. Yeah. Even though we're late because we were looking at there. <laughs> yeah. 
I know. And then the the night when their um when their mom has to go to the hospital because she's having uh, a miscarriage, um, and she comes and they've like nicknamed they've nicknamed the baby Bluebell. And so they're all talking about Bluebell's arrival and, you know, the whole house is kind of getting excited. And I think that she had, she has a boyfriend for a while, Charlie Bates. And we're, I think we're pretty sure that it, the baby that she's pregnant with is belongs to Charlie Bates. Um, and there's all this excitement in the house. And then she finds out she's not having the baby anymore. And it's this really like, deep sadness but the way that she describes it um uh like she has to call an ambulance for her mom and she has to like go across the street and her mom tells her um it, it went on and on and there was endless blood and pain and my sister rang an ambulance and they took our mother on a stretcher and as they left the house i said don't drop her <laughs> and i just loved that line because it's like such a, and it goes on to say, and I said it so that our mother would hear and know that I cared. And that was like such like a heartbreaking thing because as the mom is like leaving the house on a stretcher, it's like, there, it's just her kids there. Like nobody stopped and was like, hey, are you kids okay? Do you have a neighbor you can call? You know, and also no one was checking on the mom either, you know? And there wasn't anyone else in that community that was going to be like, hey, are you okay? Like the nine-year-old had to be like, I just wanted my mom to know that I, I cared. Um, yeah, which, you know, it's just, it's so heartbreaking to like read about stuff like that. But at the same time, the way that's written is so charming that it just it doesn't feel like this heavy you know stance on women's health care or like the state of things in general and um you know why we should have national health care and like abortion is health care like, it doesn't say any of those things outright but the way that it's written about in this narrative from the voice of a child is it's like it's saying all those things without having to come out and say them, which is something I super respect as a person who is known to be both um, mouthy and kind of, um, you know, on my pedestal about women's healthcare. <laughs> like, um, I respect so much when an author can like say all those things in like a really charming and concise way. Um, that like gets the point across without, I don't know, beating us over the head with it, I guess. Totally. It's such a good point, Molly, because um, it, there's like so much pathos in that scene. Like we really feel it's like so obviously a tragedy, but it's also like filtered through the perspective of a, of children. And like, they know that this is, scary and upsetting but they're also sort of like okay well what are we gonna have for dinner now that mom has been taken off in an ambulance because she's losing a pregnancy mm. and they sort of have to keep going about their lives but like that pregnancy loss keeps coming up throughout the book and you know they sort of are mm -hmm. 
they have to hide from their little brother what happened and and just say like yeah we're not bluebell's not coming after all and you know it's like you you have to this is you know the mark of a, a really great book is that you have to like read between the lines that she doesn't just tell you outright like this was a traumatic experience for the family and for this mom who is such an amazing yeah. character actually who by the way like is an avid reader herself and a playwright. And like every time she's processing her pain, she writes these like plays, which she then has her children act out, playing like the parts of herself yeah. and her ex-husband, and all of these things, you know? And so it's like, we feel so connected to these people. And, and so the, the feelings come swelling through in a scene like that without the child having to say anything very dramatic other than don't drop her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the ambulance driver says, don't worry, we don't drop people on Wednesdays. And then she cries because she realizes that it's actually Thursday. And so she goes, oh, God, you're going to drop her. And she starts crying. <laughs> and that's like the part where you're like, oh, yeah, it's just a kid, you know. Um, Yeah, but I, I just loved that about this book, that they're dealing with such, like, deep, intense themes and, like, saying things that are so important from the perspective of a child. I think that's what makes it really powerful. Um, I So the only rule we have on this podcast is that we talk about everything but the ending. Um, so we're not like we're definitely like spoiler alerts on the uh, on the plot points you know so for those of you who are wondering if bluebell made it like sorry but um <laughs> bluebell didn't make it but um you know the the ending which we won't talk about how it turns out but um what i there was one part that i loved which is do they find a man for the helm? Um, but I think one of my favorite turning points in the book, which is sort of like the fourth quarter, like turning point was, you know, the she's gone through all this depression and substance abuse and she's got this shitty, shitty boyfriend who's just no good and just keeps coming back. And, um, but then at some point she, oh yeah. So, um, what one of the quotes about Charlie Bates, the boyfriend I love so much is Charlie Bates turned up like a bad penny. Like I love the way that he's described as like, he just keeps showing up like a bad penny in your purse, you know, just kind of like, Oh, there's that fucking thing again. Um, and eventually the mother, she decides to get a job and she is described like Lizzie says she just she decided to to take the helm like at, at some point she's like the mom is like I'm taking the helm like we're we're doing this um and she gets like a really kind of you know blue collar job the best part is she loves it and I won't say what the job is because it's just kind of fun to find out but um she ends up like loving this blue collar job after like spending her whole life being kind of a kept woman, which I wouldn't say was a luxurious life. And probably, I mean, from the outside, it felt a little trapped, but she was definitely like raised to be what would 
someone would call like a gentlewoman, you know, or like a just just a mom, basically. She was raised to be a wife and a mother. And she that causes her great pain and anguish and depression. And what I loved was like, she went out, she got this job and, and she dealt a lot with the substance abuse problems. And I wouldn't say it all went away, but she definitely, you know, gets to this really stable place and they get to a very stable place as a family. And I loved that about this book, that that was sort of the fourth quarter change um, and it was a little bit unexpected, but but I I enjoyed that part. And I love so much, and I want to know what your thoughts were on the farm animals and, like, the fact that they had ponies. <laughs> like, that was the craziest. I could re- deeply relate to the addition of farm animals, like, given the <laughs> level of chaos in the house. Uh, yeah, it was, that was one of the one of the many lovely parts about this book is because really at the beginning they're affluent and they're accustomed to an affluent life. And then when the father leaves, he cuts them off. Like he just, well, he actually, you know, more complicated and I won't spoiler it, but essentially he just um, abandons them completely. And, um, and then they carry on living the lifestyle of people who have money but they don't have any money and pretty mm-hmm. soon that's the problem and um and in the meantime they're doing things like buying horses <laughs> buying ponies and there's a really funny scene where yeah. they have a really intractable pony who comes into this house and climbs up to the second floor and they can't get him back down and just like super comic ridiculous slapstick kinds of scenes that are punctuating in between these much more serious kinds of scenes. Whereas an adult reader, we can perceive that they're like hemorrhaging money and they have no income and they're living in a big house. And like, this is not going to, this isn't going to work for very long. What's going to go wrong? So there's all this sort of like dramatic tension that's coming up that the the children don't even really perceive, I think. And that, the whole part about like the money being like there being no money and like, that's all sort of beyond the children's grasp. But what they do see is like that there's not really much food in the house all of a sudden. And they can't just go across the street to go to the store to get like candy bars and chips and stuff. And um, they're sort of like, sort of notice like little acts of charity that are happening and like, um the like the maid gives up pretty like the the maid abandons them at some point early on in the book which becomes a problem um yeah but how it all turns out like the way the mom is able to sort of turn a new page and like flip it over and start fresh and overcome a lot of these like big traumas that she has gone through in, you know, just a year of like raising children, going through being abandoned by her husband, going through all this financial trouble that is literally not even a little bit her fault. Like she was told she had money and then she just didn't. And he just took it all away. Um, 
And so she had to learn an incredible new set of skills and keep these kids alive and like overcome these emotional and physical issues. And she's able to do it. Um, and the kids are, what I love that I wish I had more of with my kids is more of a, and I know this isn't like probably the healthiest part of the book, but she has this really like peer mentality with her kids. Like she has this, like she treats them like peers and like little adults, which I think is pretty old fashioned, but I sometimes wish I had more of that with my kids where I'm like, I shared more of myself with them, you know, more like this is what I'm struggling with right now. Cause the kids have that relationship with her. Like they know like what she struggles with and they, they're treated like peers. And I, I was like, I maybe needed some, I mean, I'd hate to say I need to borrow some parenting tips, but I might need to borrow some parenting tips from her. <laughs> yeah, they know it all. Like, she tells them everything that's going on. Oh, yeah. It's really remarkable. And then it doesn't seem to have any particularly negative effects on them. I mean, that's the other thing is that in this story, although a lot of hard things happen, like, the kids are fine they're doing great actually they they're happy yeah. and they're secure they, they love and they take care of each other and they take care of their mom and and sort of um you know nothing too terrible happens to them which maybe yeah which is incredible yeah okay which maybe it will you know yeah yeah and yeah. i love that they I love that she shares so much of her inner life with her kids. And I, I do want to like take a page out of that book and be like, you know, maybe I should like share with more with my kids, you know, about like what I struggle with, because maybe that would help them understand me more. And then, you know, I don't know, maybe they'd open up to me too, but yeah, I loved that about this book was like how the kids really rose to the occasion. And I feel like so much in modern life, we're so taught to like, keep children babies for as long as possible and like shield them from what's going on and kind of hover and shield them from these big adult things um which I don't even know if we can do that currently but um I hope to some I I hope to sort of do more of like uh have it like sharing more of what's really going on with them, you know, not shielding them as much. Um, hopefully it'll work out as well for my kids as it does for these ones, but uh, sure. we'll see you check back with me in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> you can just start writing plays about your marriage and the most difficult aspects yeah. of your marriage and then having your children act out those plays. Yes. <laughs> what could go wrong? Oh, um, I love that she would have the kids act out her plays. I was like, man, I'd probably do that too if I didn't have the internet, you know? Sure. Uh Oh my gosh. Um, so in, I would say we could wrap it up, like in closing, like what, what did you take away from this book? Um, like theme wise or not or did were you just like that was fun yeah you know well I I feel like my understanding of the book has really been deepened by having this conversation with you Molly 
And a lot of the things that I appreciated about it were sort of like, I was tacitly appreciating, but now I can kind of appreciate them explicitly. Like I hadn't really named to myself the actually radical feminist politics of this book until you kind of named that, which is absolutely true because <laughs> I was sort of thinking about it as like, this is radical feminism because it's a book that takes seriously the experiences of women and children in a way that isn't mm-hmm. like um, trauma porn, you know? And, um, yeah. and yeah, and, and has these kind of serious dark elements that I, that I really appreciate, I, you know, too much lightness. I get sort of over, it's too much sugar, you know, I don't really like, but um, you make such a good point that this is actually a really radical feminist book. And um, that is something that I just totally love about it. And the farm animals. <laughs> That live in their house. That's amazing. Um, there was one, okay, the one last quote that I want to go with, which is going to ruin some stuff for people, but I feel like it was kind of a long time coming, was the death of their dog, Debbie, um, which was oh. kind of like the most intense tragedy, I think, of this book um, that happens to the kids. And um, my favorite thing ever was she meant she talks about debbie's death a little bit but then the chapter ends with it's just this one sentence and it says the awfulness of debbie's death cannot be described nothing helped and that's it that's the end of the sentence and i fucking love that because that is just such a real grasp on like sadness and grief it was just like the awfulness could not be described and nothing helped. And like, that's all you need to know. Like, it was horrible. And I'm not going to sit here and reframe it for you or like wax poetic about the timing or, you know, whatever. Like, it's just, it was horrible and it was nothing helped, you know? Um, the other thing I loved about that is earlier in the paragraph, and I don't know if you've ever heard this term before, but faffing. Like F-A-F-F-I-N-G. It's like a specifically English yeah. term for like messing around. They say like faffing about. Right. Um, yeah. And it's, now it's one of my favorite terms. I had to like look it up. <laughs> I was like, what is she talking about? Because <laughs> she says, um, Mr. Holt didn't want to join it with us. It was our business, and he didn't want to see all the blubbering and nonsense. Plus, he said he'd spent enough time faffing. Which, I'm just like, yeah, that's a perfect description for most of my day. Like, just faffing about, you know? So, it is a perfect word. <laughs> yeah, just just faffing about, just faffing there's just no other, just carrying on, you know, just kind of overdoing it in every sense of the word. <laughs> yeah. It's a great line. So good. So yeah, take that, take that with you. Take faffing with you. Take, take that one out. Take it for a spin. Um, see how it, see how it shakes, you know, give it a whirl. <laughs> My present to you, <laughs> faffing. And read this book, it's so good. 
Oh my God. Yeah. Read this book, please. It's so good. I want to talk to more people about this book. I want more of our friends to read this book so we can talk about it more. And I'm going to read well, the sequel. Yeah, you should definitely read it. I mean, a thing to say about it, which probably has come through already loud and clear, but is worth naming, is it's just so fun to read. Like, as soon as I picked it up, I oh, was yeah. in. You know? So oh, that yeah. is something that's so great. You know, you can, like, come away with some lessons, but at the end of the day, it's just a super fun read. Yeah, it's hilarious and sad and all the things. So good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you go deliver dinner over to your pod there, your pod family. Yep. It was a delight to be on your podcast. I loved it. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, and you did not disappoint, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me know when, when you've got it all edited out. I apologize for the various crinkling and smashing about noises that might have been happening in the background. Hey, that's life. That's how we do it here. Mm -hmm. Love it. That's right. Faffing. A lot of faffing happening here. Faffing. Yeah, sorry for all the faffing in the background. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, Lisa, have a okay. good night. Yeah, you too, Molly. Love you. Love you. Okay, bye. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on These Girls Read Books. I enjoyed reading this book so much and talking about it, and I cannot wait for other people to read it so I can talk about it with them too. And I'm really excited to get into the rest of the books in the series by Nina Steeb. It, I think they all take place in the same universe, and just slightly different timelines, so we get to follow the main character through... Um, some of the rest of her life so that's super awesome I forgot to ask Lisa when we recorded what her next book was what she was reading now and so I texted her later and she sent me this back currently I'm reading a book in the Murderbot Diaries series it started off with some novellas and this is the first full-length novel it's freaking hilarious very Joss Whedon one second please Murderbot is a security system cyborg with a heart of gold and an extreme social anxiety complex who is constantly reluctantly having to save humans from stupid and dangerous situations, when really all he wants to do is binge watch a show called The Rise and Fall of Sanctuary Moon. Highly recommend. That's a really... I don't even know... I don't know who Joss Whedon is, but I'm sure if Lisa's reading it, it's very good. So this sounds like a very weird plot but I I'm here for it and you know what Lisa I'm gonna give it a go just for you I the description doesn't really turn me on very much but that's okay I'm because it's you I'm gonna give it a go so thanks everyone for listening and um get at us on Instagram gonna be on iTunes soon and we're on Spotify and wherever you're listening to it right now is the you don't need to be told where to listen to podcasts because I'm telling you right now and you're listening to it. So why am I telling you where to listen? I have a very special episode coming up in the middle of the week this week on the 3rd, which is 
National Read Aloud, oh no, sorry, World Read Aloud Day with litworld.org. So the kids and I, that's Mrs. Maple over here and Mr. Huckle, are going to be reading aloud for you guys on Wednesday, February 3rd, as a part of World Read Aloud Day. So I hope you guys can join us for that. I'll drop it, you know, either Wednesday or Thursday. And I hope you guys can also go to litworld.org and see what they have going on on Wednesday. There's a lot of different ways to get involved, a lot of different ways to spread literacy and literacy awareness around the world. Hope you guys can get over there. Thanks so much for listening and hanging in there. We'll see you guys next time. Bye now. Thank you.